The Senate will convene as a court of impeachment. Uh, the chaplain will please uh, lead us in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we resume this impeachment trial, let your will be done. Enlighten our senators as you show them your will. Lord, guide them with your wisdom, supporting them with your power. In spite of disagreements, may they strive for civility and respect. May they respect the right of the opposing side to differ regarding convictions and conclusions. Give them the wisdom to distinguish between facts and opinions without lambasting the messengers. We pray in your strong name. Amen. In reciting the Pledge of Allegiance to the Flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The Senators, please be seated. If there is no objection, the Journal of Proceedings of the trial are approved to date. Hearing no objection, so ordered. The Sergeant-at-Arms will make the proclamation. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. All persons are commanded to keep silent on pain of imprisonment while the Senate of the United States is sitting in a trial for the Articles of Impeachment exhibited by the House of Representatives against Donald John Trump, President of the United States. Your Justice. The Majority Leader is recognized. For all of our colleagues, some um, information about scheduling. Uh, today, we'll plan to take short breaks every two to three hours, and we'll accommodate a 30-minute recess for dinner, assuming it is needed, until the House managers have finished their opening uh, presentation. For scheduling purposes, we've organized tomorrow's session to convene at 10 a.m. and run for several hours as the President's counsel begins their presentation. Pursuant to the provisions of Senate Resolution 483, the managers for the House of Representatives have seven hours and 53 minutes remaining to make the presentation of their case. The Senate will now hear you. Mr. Chief Justice, Senators, distinguished counsel of the President, um, I keep wanting to say good morning, but uh, good afternoon. Um, I just wanted to give a very brief orientation to the argument you'll hear today. Um, we will begin uh, with Jason Crow, uh, who was talking about the conditionality of the military assistance. Uh, this is the latter part, uh, although not the end of the argumentation on the application of the Constitution and law 
as it respects Article 1, the abuse of power. Um, I'll have a presentation after Mr. Crow, uh, and soon thereafter we will conclude the presentation on Article 1. We'll then begin the presentation on Article 2, once again applying the Constitution and law to the facts on the present obstruction of Congress. We will then have some concluding thoughts uh, and then turn it over to the President's Council. Uh, and that is uh, what you should expect for the day. And with that, I will now yield to Mr. Crow of Colorado. Good afternoon. Uh, I woke up this morning and walked to my local coffee shop uh, where, uh, unlike my esteemed colleague, Mr. Jeffries from New York, uh, nobody complained to me about Colorado baseball. So I could only conclude that this is only a New York Yankees problem. As uh, Mr. Uh, Schiff mentioned, we talked last night about the July 25th call uh, and the multiple officials who confirmed the intent of the president in withholding the aid. So now I'd like to turn to what happened around the time that the aid was lifted. And we know that the aid was lifted ultimately on September 11th, but it wasn't lifted for any legitimate reason. It was only lifted because President Trump had gotten caught. Now let's go through how we know that. On August 26th, the whistleblower complaint had been sent to the Director of National Intelligence. And public reports indicate that President Trump was told about the complaint by White House Counsel Pat Cipollone. On, some, on September 5th, though, the scheme became public. An editorial in the Washington Post on that day, for the first time publicly, explicitly linked the military aid hold in the investigations that President Trump wanted. Now keep in mind that public scrutiny of the president's hold increased exponentially after this became public. And this is where things start moving really fast. A few days later, on September 9th, the House Investigative Committees publicly announced their investigation of president's conduct in Ukraine. Lieutenant Colonel Vidman testified that the National Security Council and others at the White House learned about the investigation when it was announced and a colleague of his said that it might have the effect of releasing the aid. And on that same day, the House Intelligence Committee learns that the administration had withheld the whistleblower complaint from Congress. The scheme was unraveling. And what happens two days later? President Trump released the military aid. He only released it after he got caught. But there's another reason we know the president lifted the aid only because he got caught. Because there's no other explanation. The testimony of all of the witnesses confirms it. Both Lieutenant Colonel Vidman and Ms. Williams testified that they were not provided any reason for lifting the hold. Vidman testified that nothing on the ground had changed in the two months of the hold. And Mark Sandy of the OMB also confirmed that. And Ambassador Taylor, too, testified that, quote, I was not told the reason why the hold had been lifted. Now let me take a moment to address another defense I expect you will hear, that the aid was released and the investigations were never announced, so therefore, no harm, no foul, right? Well, this defense would be laughable if this issue wasn't so serious. 
First, I've spoken over the past three days about the real consequences of inserting politics into matters of war. Real people, real lives are at stake. Every day, every hour matters. So no, the delay wasn't meaningless. Just ask the Ukrainians sitting in trenches right now. And to this day, they are still waiting on $18 million of the aid that hasn't reached them. Jennifer Williams, who attended the Warsaw meeting with Vice President Prince, described President Zelensky's focus during this time. And you testified in your deposition that in that conversation, President Zelensky emphasized that the military assistance, the security assistance, was not just important to assist Ukraine in fighting a war against Russia, but that it was also symbolic in nature. What did you, what did you understand him to mean by that? President Zelensky explained that more than, or just equally with the financial and physical value of the assistance, that it was the symbolic nature of that assistance uh, that really was the show of U.S. support for Ukraine and for Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. And I think he was, he, he was stressing that to the vice president to really underscore the need for the security assistance to be released. And that if the United States was holding the security assistance, is it also true then that Russia could see that as a sign of weakening U.S. support for Ukraine and take advantage of that? I believe that's what the pres President Zelensky was, was indicating, that any signal or sign that U.S. support was wavering would be construed by Russia as potentially an opportunity for them to strengthen their own hand in Ukraine. This is an important point, particularly when the president and his attorneys try to argue no harm, no foul. The financial assistance itself was really important to Ukraine, no question about it. But the aid was equally important as a signal to Russia of our support for Ukraine. And regardless of whether the aid was ultimately released, the fact that the hold became public sent a very clear signal to Russia that our support for Ukraine was wavering. And Russia was watching very closely for any sign of weakness. The damage was done. Now, any possible doubt about whether the aid was linked to the investigations has been erased by the president's own chief of staff. Now, we've seen this video before during the trial, but there's a really good reason for this. It's a complete admission on national TV that the military aid was conditioned on Ukraine helping the president's political campaign. Here, once again, is what Mulvaney said. Did he also mention to me in the past that the, 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 the corruption related to the DNC server? Absolutely. No question about that. Um, but that's it. And that's why we held up the money. And when pressed that he had just confessed to the very quid pro quo that President Trump had been denying, Mulvaney doubled down. But to be clear, what you just described is a quid pro quo. It is funding will not flow unless the investigation into the, into the Democratic server uh, happened as well. We, we, do, we do that all the time with foreign policy. If you read the news reports and you believe them, what did McKinney say yesterday? Well, McKinney said yesterday that he was really upset with the political influence in foreign policy. That was one of the reasons he was so upset about this. And I have news for everybody. Get over it. There's going to be political influence in foreign policy. I'm talking to Mr. Now, remember, at the time he made these statements, Mulvaney was both the head of OMB and the acting chief of staff at the White House. He knew about all of the legal concerns. He also knew about 
the president's so-called drug deal, as Ambassador Bolton called it. He knew exactly what was going on in the Oval Office and how OMB implemented the president's illegal order to hold the aid. Mulvaney confirmed why the president ordered the hold. It was not to develop further policy to counter Russian aggression. It was not to convince the Ukrainians to implement additional anti-corruption reforms. And it was not to pressure our allies to give more to Ukraine. Now, since we won't have an opportunity to respond to the president's presentation, I'm going to take a minute to respond to some of the arguments that I expect them to make. You will notice, I'm sure, that they will ignore significant portions of the evidence while trying to cherry-pick individual statements here and there to manufacture defenses. But don't be fooled. One defense you may hear is that the aid was held up to allow for a policy review. This is what the administration told the GAO at one point. But the evidence shows the opposite. The evidence shows that the administration didn't conduct a review at any time after the president ordered the hold. Laura Cooper was not aware of any review of the funding conducted by DOD in July, August, or September. And similarly, George Kent testified that the State Department did not conduct and was never asked to conduct a review of funding administered by the State Department. In fact, on May 23rd, the anti-corruption review was complete and DOD certified to Congress that Ukraine had complied with all of the conditions and that the remaining half of the aid should be released. This was confirmed by the June 18th press release announcing the release or announcing the, the, the funding. And do you remember the fictitious, the fictitious quote-unquote interagency review process? Well, that was made up too. So no review was necessary because it had already been done. Next, the President's counsel keeps saying this was about corruption in Ukraine. President Trump was not concerned with fighting corruption. It's difficult to even say that with a straight face. The President never mentioned corruption on either call with President Zelensky. But let's go through the evidence. As we just discussed, DOD had already completed a review and con concluded that Ukraine had, quote, made sufficient progress in meeting defense reform and anti-corruption goals consistent with the National Defense Authorization Act in order to receive the funds. And in fact, Mark Sandy, who was not at that meeting but who was initially responsible for approving the hold, said he had never heard corruption as a reason for the hold in all of the discussions he had about it. Similar to the anti-corruption argument, there is simply no evidence to support the president's after-the-fact argument that he was concerned about burden-sharing. Now, that's other countries also contributing to Ukraine. I imagine the president may cite the emails in June about what other countries provided to Ukraine, the reference to other countries' contributions in the July 25th call, and testimony from Sandy about a request for information about what other European countries give to Ukraine. But there is simply no evidence that ties the concern to his decision to hold the funding. First, let's actually look at the contributions of European countries to Ukraine. There's a slide in front of you. It shows that other European countries have significantly contributed to Ukraine since 2014. And the European Union in total has given far more than the U.S., the EU is the single largest donor to Ukraine, having provided over $16 billion in grants and loans. The president's assertion that other countries did not support Ukraine 
is meritless. And there are other reasons, too. After DOD and OMB responded to the president's request, presumably with some of the information we just provided you, showing Europe gives a lot to Ukraine, nobody in the Trump administration mentioned burden sharing as a reason for the hold to any of the 17 witnesses that we've been talking about. Sondland, whose actual portfolio is the EU, not Ukraine, testified that he was never asked to speak to the EU or EU member countries about providing more aid to Ukraine. And if President Trump were truly concerned about that, he would have been the perfect guy to handle it, because he was our ambassador to the EU. But it never happened. And how could it? Because Sondland himself knew the aid was linked to the investigations, because that's what the president himself had told him. It wasn't until the president's scheme began to unravel after the White House learned of the whistleblower complaint and after Politico publicly revealed the existence of the hold that the issue of burden sharing came up again. If the president's concern were genuinely about burden sharing, he never made any public statements about it, never ordered a review of burden sharing, and never ordered his officials to push Europe to increase their contributions. And then he released the aid without any changes in Europe's contributions. This last point is important. You know the, president purported, the president's purported concern about burden sharing rings hollow because the aid was released after the president got caught, not because the EU or any European country made any new contributions. As Lieutenant Colonel Vindman testified, the facts on the ground had not changed. Finally, you may hear the president's counsel say that Ukraine didn't know about the hold until August 28th, long after the hold was implemented. So therefore, they could not have felt pressured. But this makes no sense. First, they found out about it long before August 28th. Multiple witnesses testified that the Ukrainians showed, quote, impressive diplomatic trade craft and learning quickly about the hold. And of course, they would know. The DOD release was announced in June. And U.S. agencies knew about it in July. So it should be no surprise that the first inquiries about the aid were on July 25th, the same day as the call. You see, it doesn't matter if extortion lasts two weeks or two months. It's still extortion, and Ukraine certainly felt the pressure. Other Ukrainian officials also expressed concerns that the Ukrainian government was being singled out and penalized for some reason. And they were, by President Trump. And you know how else you know they felt the pressure from the hold? Because President Zelensky finally relented and was planning to do the CNN interview. Ultimately, right around the time of President Zelensky's conversation with, Vice President, or with President Trump, which is the subject of the classified document that I urge all senators to look at, President Zelensky canceled the CNN interview. But the damage was already done. The evidence is clear. The question for you is whether it's okay for the president to withhold taxpayer money, aid for our ally, our friend at war, for a personal political benefit. Whether it's okay for the president to sacrifice our national security for his own election. It's not okay to me. It's certainly not okay with the American people. And it should not be okay to any of you.